Lord God, we thank you for this day. It's the day that you have made and we pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would remind us of how amazing you are and what you have called us to be. We ask you right now to be all over your word and speak to us in a great way. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture that we're talking about at the moment is in John 1. If we get it, there we go. John 1, verse 14, 16 and 17, where it says the word, talking about Jesus, became a human and lived among us. We saw his glory, the glory that belongs to the only son of the father. And he was full of grace and truth. Then verse 16 says, because he was full of grace and truth, from him we all received one gift after another. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son, is very close to the Father, and he has shown us what God is like. A few weeks ago, I talked about the fact that Jesus came in grace and truth. And the amazing thing is that it says that he showed us what God looks like. Our God is a God of grace and truth. We talked about a couple of weeks ago that sometimes we look at grace and truth and we can think they're in contradiction of one another. Isn't that right? That truth and grace seem like opposites. How can God be grace and truth at the same time? But the Bible tells us really clearly that Jesus came in grace and truth. So he is the perfect balance of grace and truth. And so over these few weeks as a series we're talking about what it means that Jesus came in grace and truth what does that look like and so today I want to look at grace who likes grace I'm not talking about the prayer you say before dinner Gracie we like we all like grace up the back there but um, but we're talking about the grace that God shows us now technically grace comes from the Greek word charis now it's interesting that the word charis was actually a word like the word agape that we talk about a lot here at church the word for love charis was a word that was developed when the church was established it wasn't a word that was used beforehand because they needed something to describe the way the christians behaved they needed to explain how, why Jesus gave his life and why Jesus came to earth. And so they came up with this word charis because they saw the way the followers of Christ were living and they're thinking, this is incredible. We've never seen anything like this before. They're living to help others at no gain of their own. They weren't doing it to get something for themselves. They were doing it just for the sake of helping others. Now, this was unseen in that time and in, in that um, space because it was normal for you to maybe help your close family group so because they lived in family groups so it was normal oh, I'll help my brothers and sisters or my uncles and aunties and those sorts of people and I might even help a, a very close acquaintance or a companion but I would never usually help a stranger 
It was unheard of. That's why Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, because it's just unheard of that you would go out of your way to help someone who wasn't part of your group. But this is the thing, that the world saw these Christians doing this type of behaviour, this, this pattern of living that was in, we, maybe we can describe it as a carous way of life in the early church. And they thought, how do we describe it? And they came up with this word charis. Let me explain this a bit deeper because I'll give you an example of how the early church practiced this charis way of life. In the, in the time, in the olden times, the Jesus times, the Roman times, if you died, if you were wealthy, you could afford to have what they called a crypt. So they would bury you in these crypts or a cave or something like that. But if you were poor, the only way... Uh, the only thing they would do with you is once you died, they'd take your body outside the city gates and they'd dump you there for the wild animals to basically finish you off. There was no way to... If you were poor, you couldn't afford anything else. So you'd die, they'd see you're dead, they'd grab you, they'd take you out, throw you out past the city walls and let the animals eat you. And that was, that was the way it happened. Now, Christians saw this. And they thought, this is not right. This isn't the way it should be. Every person is created in the image of God. Every person deserves dignity and respect and value and worth. That God has created every person with unsurpassable worth. They're, they're incredible. And so we don't want to see this happen. So what Christians would do is when they'd dump the bodies outside the city walls, they would go and collect them and they would bury them in graves. And this is how we have developed cemeteries in the modern times. And, and, and this is the amazing thing about it, is the fact was, they, it was for no gain for themselves. It didn't help Christians at all to bury dead bodies. It actually was to their detriment, because it, when they were handling these dead bodies, often dying of disease and, and different things, they would actually catch the disease of the people they buried and die themselves. But they kept doing it because what was more important to them was value, dignity and respect for the life that God had created. And so it's a powerful picture of Karis type of living. This grace that would see every life as valuable and important and do whatever we can to support that life, even if it's to our own detriment. See, Karis is the word that we now have or have has developed into the word charity. Isn't that right? That makes sense? This is what grace is all about. But grace is even bigger than charity. So we're going to look at how we can define grace. Now, J.I. Packer explains it this way. Grace expresses a notion of spontaneous, self-determined kindness, which was previously quite unknown Greco-Roman ethics and theology. So what is J.I. Packer saying? He was saying that up until this time, up until grace came about and people started to practice it as followers of Jesus, when people thought about God, or in this case, their gods of their time, they, were, they would think about it in a way that was, how can I please God? Or what have I done to upset the gods or God? And so their mindset was that, that God was there to be pleased and God was there uh, and if we didn't please him, then he wouldn't send rain 
and you'd have a drought and you'd you'd be punished type of so their their whole mindset around god was i need to think about how i can please them or what have i done to make them angry at me but this idea this christian concept of a god who loves his creation and wants the best for them but doesn't just want the best for them actually would become one of them to show them kindness and to help them in their situation was totally unheard of to greco-roman times it was just a concept that they did not understand you see before grace came into the world it was all about what i should do or what i shouldn't do to get god's favor but with grace our god his incredible god totally changed the goalposts he totally changed the way people should think about him because it's no longer about what we do for god but it's all about what he has done for us and what he has given to us so today the first thing i want to show you about grace is that when we know grace grace helps us to understand that there is more to god than we realize all these people had known God as the rewarder or the punisher, the judge, the one who was just out there and if you did the right thing, he'd give you good things. If you did the wrong thing, he'd give you bad things. But grace helped people realize or understand that there's more to God than we realize. That there's so much more to God than we realize. In Sunday school, we used to learn grace this way. Anyone remember this? God's riches at Christ's expense. As we get more mature, we, we learn that grace is un, unmerit, God's unmerited favor. Isn't that right? Where God's love is shown towards guilty sinners, contrary to their merit or in defiance of their, their demerit. It is God showing goodness to persons who deserve only severity, and had no reason to expect anything but severity. But as I said, God's grace tells us how the judge has also become our redeemer and saviour. See, God before was considered the judge, but as Jesus came, he showed us that God is more than just a judge. He is also our redeemer and saviour. Now, I've shared this story before, but I'd I'm going to share it again because I, I really feel it, ex, it explains what grace is all about really clearly. Has anyone ever heard of um, Mayor LaGuardia in New York? Anyone heard of him? Yeah, anyone ever heard of the LaGuardia Airport? In Yep. Anyone been to it? Been through it? Yep. Now, LaGuardia Airport is named after this mayor of, of New York who was the mayor during the Depression. And the story is told that ha on one bitterly cold night in 1935, LaGuardia um, showed up to the night court. In America, they have night courts where they, they go over petty sort of crimes and things like that. And what LaGuardia did, which he was rightly allowed to do as mayor of New York, he dismissed the judge for the night, said, go have the night off. I'm going to look after the cases today. And so within a few minutes... This little old woman came before the judge, before LaGuardia, and she was charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told LaGuardia 
that her daughter's husband had left her daughter and that her daughter was sick and that her grandchildren were starving and so she had to steal the loaf of bread to feed the family. And the shopkeeper who she stole the loaf of bread from was there and he said to LaGuardia, we live in a really bad neighbourhood, Your Honour, and if you don't punish this woman, how will they know that they shouldn't be doing this sort of stuff? You need to punish her. I'm, I'm not going to withdraw my charges no matter how bad a situation because you need to punish her so people in our area learn a lesson that this is the wrong thing to do. And it sounds reasonable, doesn't it? And uh, LaGuardia turned to the woman and said to her, I've got to punish you. The law says I have to punish you. I have to make no exceptions. It's $10 or 10 days in jail. But even as he pronounced the sentence, the mayor himself was reaching into his own pocket and he pulled out a $10 bill and he said, here is $10 and now I remit the fine. And furthermore, he didn't stop there. If he stopped there, that would be a good case of mercy. He's shown this woman mercy, but he didn't stop there. He said, and furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal a loaf of bread to feed her hungry grandchildren. And he says, Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant, to the poor woman. So the following day in the New York newspaper, it was reported that $47.50, this is in 1935, was turned over to this old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. And 50 cents of that $47.50 was actually even contributed by the shop owner himself who had charged her. The incredible thing of that, about that story is it shows us exactly what grace is like. We deserve to be punished because of sin. And God, our judge, says there's no exceptions. There's no exceptions. The law is the law. The wages of sin is death. Isn't that what it says? It's what it is. But I'm going to pay the price for your sin through my son, Jesus Christ. He's going to give up everything he has here in heaven, come to earth, become one of you, and die on a cross so to pay the price for your sin. But it doesn't stop there. I'm not just going to allow him to pay the price for your sin, but what I'm going to do, because he's paid the price for your sin, you can now become a part of my family. You can be one of my children if you put your faith in him. And that means you get everything I have. You get the inheritance of my kingdom. That's grace. Even though we could do nothing to pay the price for ourselves, God paid the price for us. And because he did, we can now live in relationship with him as a son and daughter of God. The thing is, when we make mistakes, when we fall short, obviously we feel bad. And we feel bad because we, the reality of it is we still see God as this judge. 
And we expect him to respond to our failures and our mistakes just like we respond to it ourselves. Isn't that right? We get angry at ourselves or we get frustrated or we get shame and guilt for it. And we feel like, and we feel like that's, that's how God feels about us as well. And we might try to hide or run away. And we think God will be angry at us because that's how we see God to be or how we perceive God. But what grace teaches us is that God doesn't respond, us, respond to us the way we see him. He responds to us in, the, in who he is rather than the way we think he is. This is really important because, as I said, grace helps us and understand that there's more to God than we realize. That he is not just our judge, he is also our redeeming saviour. He is grace and he gives us grace. And so when he responds to us, he responds to us out of who he is, not who we think he is. If we've grown up in an environment and a and a world where we're used to getting punished for doing the wrong thing or we've been taught that God is going to punish you and if you do this, this and this, you're going to go to hell and la la la, then we're always going to struggle when we fall short. But if we can understand that God is not just our judge, but he is our redeeming saviour, he is the one who shows us grace, we can then understand that we can find in him all that we need, no matter how far we fall short. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we, the ne- we, off- we love reading that passage, and it's good, but you've got to keep reading in the full context because it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what does God's grace also teach us? It teaches us, it helps us understand, grace helps us understand there is more to us than we realise. Not only is there more to God than we realise, that he is more than just a judge, he is our redeeming saviour. But guess what? Because of his grace, he wants you to know that there's more to you than you realise. God's grace tells us we are his workmanship. We are his handiwork. We, another translation says we are his masterpiece. And that means God's grace allows him to see us from his perspective, not ours. And his grace encourages us to do the same. God's grace invites us, just like it, it invites us to see him differently, it invites us to see ourselves from his perspective as well. What's his perspective? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Isn't that what God thinks? When God looks at you, some people might need to hear this this morning. When God looks at you, his word says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's how God sees you because of what Jesus has done for us. 
He sees that we are created in his image. That means he says, I see you as my creation. You are mine and I am yours. We are his workmanship, his masterpiece. He looks at us and goes, that's my child. That's just like a parent looking on their own child. That's the way he looks at us. So often we feel, let's be honest, we feel disgrace and failure. We, we look at ourselves and we think, I just, I'm not all I should be. I should be more, I should be this, I should be that. I keep making the same mistakes over and over again. But the exciting thing is God doesn't choose to define us by our worst moments. He doesn't choose to define us by our mistakes. He, he shows us grace and he deals with our mistakes. He deals with the effects of sin in our life through his son Jesus Christ. And it's because of Jesus that when he looks at us, he sees the masterpiece he has created. He sees us what, as we, he planned us to be from the beginning of time. He sees us as his children. There's a really interesting parable or, or story that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. You've probably all heard it a lot. It's called the, the story of the pearl of grace, great price or the, the, pearl, the lost pearl. Anyone remember that? Let's have a read of it. It's, Jesus, it's just simple. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Often I've heard this passage preached and, and, and it talks about the pearl being the kingdom of God or, or being salvation and, and that we as as people looking for God, need to sell everything we have and give our lives to God, and that's the great pearl. But as I've read it lately, I actually think that maybe it's not quite that. Because it says the kingdom of God is like a merchant. It doesn't say the kingdom of God is like a pearl. Who is the merchant? The merchant is Jesus. The merchant is Jesus that saw a lost pearl in a field and thought, what can I do to gain that beautiful pearl that's lost and neglected and left to disappear into nothing in that field? And it says that he would sell everything he had. The Bible teaches us that he left heaven, laid aside his divinity, everything he had and became human like us. He gave up everything for us. And he didn't just stop there. He even gave his own life for us. Because he saw us, you and me, as a pearl of great price. He saw our value. He saw deep and past all our rubbish. That pearl was probably dirty sitting in that field. He saw past that. And he saw the value in it deep within. When God looks out across this room, he doesn't see the rubbish and the muck. He sees who he created you to be. And he didn't just, didn't just say, oh, let me send someone else. Or he's like, I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to save them. 
I'm going to restore them back to everything I planned them to be. See, God's grace wants us to see ourselves the way God sees us. He wants you to realize there's more to you than you know and you've experienced. He wants you to know that you are the pearl of great price that he was willing to give his all for. God doesn't want us to define ourselves by our mistakes. He wants us to define ourselves by his grace. God wants us to define ourselves by who he is in our lives and who he created us to be. Romans 3.24 says, Yet God, with undeserved kindness, in other words, grace, declares that we are righteous. What What does it say? Because of God's grace, guess what? You and I are righteous. We are made right with God. We are in right standing with God. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sins. I want to finish with one last story. It's a story from Jesus' life after he resurrected and it's a great example of how God's grace works. And this idea where God operates in grace and truth. And it's the story of Peter. And after, as we all know, when Jesus went to the cross, Peter denied Jesus three times as it was prophesied by Jesus himself. He said, by the time the, the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And guess what? Peter denied him three times. And so this was a great failure in Peter's life. And if you go to John 21, you can read it later. But you'll, you'll read the story of how Peter, with some other disciples, goes, says to them, Let's, I'm going fishing. It's a pretty important statement right now. Because they had left fishing to follow Jesus. Isn't that right? The, the disciples, had, Jesus had actually declared to Peter, you will be a fisher of men. You will no longer fish for fish anymore and and Peter would have heard Jesus say to the rich young ruler that if you put your hand to the plow don't look back there's no room in the kingdom of God for people who look back and then Peter would have probably had that resonating in his mind but he's thought I've failed Jesus I've denied him three times there's no hope for me to follow him anymore so I'm just going to go back to what I know I'm going to go back to fit fishing because I'm not fit for the kingdom of God that's probably going through his mind so he's out there fishing and incredible story there's a man on the shore and they don't recognize who it is yet but it's the resurrected Christ and he says how are you going fishing and they go we haven't caught much and he goes well throw your net on the other side and they so they throw their net on the other side and all of a sudden their boat is full of fish They can't even contain the net. And at that point, Peter realizes, because this is where Jesus called Peter in the same situation, he did it in exactly the same way when he called him to be his disciple. And so he sees and he, he realizes he has a revelation. His eyes are open. He goes, that's Jesus. So Peter, in his own unique way, guess what he does? He 
he lifts up his loincloth or whatever it is. It says it in the Bible. And he dives in the water and he swims to shore. He can't help himself. He's got to go to Jesus. And he falls at Jesus' feet in, in repentance and, and, and sorrow. And, it, and we'll pick up here a little bit later. They've had a meal of fish with Jesus. And when they had finished eating, did I put it up on the screen? There, I'll put it up on the screen for you. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I'm not sure what these were. Maybe it was the fish. I don't know what it was. But he says, yes, Lord, he said, Peter said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then the third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Peter's obviously a little bit thick and doesn't see what's happening here. But he says, uh, third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Jesus said this to him. He said, follow me. Follow me. We see the picture there, the powerful picture. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus restored him three times. But Jesus just didn't stop there. He actually said those powerful words again to reinstate him fully. And he said to him again, follow me. Follow me. What an amazing picture of grace. But I just want to take you a little bit deeper because this began, God's heart of grace began even before this encounter. Because if you go to Mark 16, verses 6 and 7, this is when the women find the empty tomb of Jesus and the, the angel says to them, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But then the angel says these words, but go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him just as he told you so even in this moment why would they read it like that is because god was reaching out to peter that the woman would go to go to him and say peter they said tell all the disciples and you he mentioned you personally that god is reaching out to you in grace that god wants to restore you and then in this moment he reminds him again do you love me well, guess what? I want you to feed my sheep. Do you love me? I want you to feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And he stamps it with his authority and his approval and says, Peter, follow me. 
you are restored. My grace is sufficient. God knows that we're damaged. God knows we make mistakes. It's no surprise to him. But guess what? He doesn't define Peter by his mistakes and he won't define you by your mistakes. He sees our potential and he does everything in his power to help us even though we don't really deserve it. And that is what grace is. He did it throughout the Bible, even before the New Testament. Time and time again, God showed grace. And today, he wants to show you grace. The thing that God's grace shows us is that he is more committed to us than we are to him. You know, I described us as the pearl of great price. And sometimes when you think of that, you think, oh, then I'm something pretty special. But God doesn't describe you as the pearl of great price so you can get puffed up and think, oh, I'm pretty cool, I'm pretty special. The response that we should have is, if God sees me like that, how can I honour him with my life? that I would live up to the way God would see me, that I would, I would be the person who God called me to be. So today I'd just like everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes and we're going to take a moment to reflect and pray. I think there might be a couple of types of people in this room today some of you need to see God as more than you know. Some of you need to have a revelation and an understanding of the God of grace. The God who is full of grace. You need to know that. You need to see that. And God wants to reveal himself to you as grace. For too long you've seen him as your judge and he wants you to know him as his your redeeming savior the one who would give his life for you and then there's others here today that you need to see allow grace to see yourself as you truly are the pearl of great price the one who god sees as valuable the one who God sees of so, as so much worth that he would be willing to give his all for you. God wants you to know that. He wants you to know he doesn't define you by your behavior. He defines you by who he sees you to be, a child of God. So right now as we pray, whichever need you have, if you need God to show you him afresh, then pray that. Pray, God, open my eyes to who you are. Help me understand grace in its fullness. If you need to see yourself as more than just someone who's not worthy or, or not valuable or overlooked or, or someone who keeps making the same mistake, ask God to give you a fresh revelation of who you are by his grace because I believe God wants to open people's eyes 
this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace. To be honest, I don't... Sometimes it, it, it is more than I can understand why you would want or why you would do what you do and why you would show us the grace you do when we, we seem to not value it as much as we should. But God, I pray, let your grace fill this room right now. In Jesus' name. God, open people's eyes in this place right now that they might see you as a God of grace. As a God who has not just saved them from the punishment of death, but who wants to pour blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon their lives that wants to give them the full inheritance of the kingdom of God. Let us see you that way, the incredible, benevolent God, the gracious God you are. God, and there's some here in this room that they need to put themselves aside or the way they look at themselves and start to look at themselves the way you see them, that they would see themselves the way you see them as your workmanship, as fearfully and wonderfully made, created in your image for your glory as your children in your family. God, open our eyes. Let grace flood into this place where people would no longer see themselves as nothing or overlooked or not valuable, but see themselves for the amazing worth they are the pearls of great price that you gave your all for. I ask you this in Jesus' mighty name.